Hello, everyone. My name is Josh Gilland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me is Nari Ely as we continue our voyage into the lower decks, discussing the multitude of legal issues in this episode that was like the Wild Kingdom of uh, Star Trek and definitely the most risque. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Out of 800 episodes. And that's including the stuff from the 60s. So let's go. And Nari, how are you doing this evening? Doing really good. Um, I apologize for my casual dress. I just ran in from having taken my nieces of six and eight years old rock climbing. <laughs> that sounds like a fun-filled day with the aunt. So yes, Aunt Nari is very fun. <laughs> as they should be. It's I don't know if it's the brother or sister, but you know, you do have to one-up that sibling who's the parent. So keep it up. <laughs> it's it's worked well in in life so keep it up so how are you josh i am well so this was a an adventurous week with lots of discovery and motion practice so it's fun to be talking star trek and as we gear up for the 55th anniversary i can announce we will have special podcasts coming out right before uh, that we've been recording the last month. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I have editing to do this weekend, but really- Congratulations, but, Josh. Thank you. Well, we're not done yet. So let's uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait for us to be back in space dock before we uh, break open the champagne. So, uh, but yes, so let's get into the lower decks, which is Mugatu Gungatu, if I remember right. Yes. Uh, Mugato Gumato, I think, is the name of the episode. Yeah. But I think any pronunciation apparently is grammatical. So, yeah, the fact that they run with different pronunciations of it, uh, even with Shats saying different Muga, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, words cannot express how much I love this show. They, they just had a ripper on good time. Because uh, the Mugatu appeared in A Private Little War. And that that does go back to the original series. And this episode has tons of callbacks to both the original series, uh, Next Gen, a little and a little DS9, mm -hmm. and uh, Voyager. So it yeah. hit everybody. And, and Enterprise, because the initial aliens that we see are the same type as flocks. I, that 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 was the only reference I missed that because <laughs> their faces expand out and I'm blanking on the name of that species because there's a lot of aliens in Star Trek and I don't remember everyone uh, so uh, but I'm you still remember the face that's the most important <laughs> yeah like a puffer fish so so let's get into this apparently the Mugatu are endangered and Nari uh, we see the Frangi. Also, Lieutenant Captain Johnny is joining me tonight. <laughs> yeah, hi there, Johnny. If I can tilt this down just a touch. There we go. <laughs> I'm sure he has pips. Uh, <laughs> so we have some straight up Fourth Amendment issues that pop up with the Endangered Species Act because mm -hmm. they uh, our heroes breach the territory of the Frangi. So it's not, they don't enter a house, but they enter a yard 
So it's it's a little different than curtilage, but they do basically it's like going compound, yeah. compound. Uh, they do cross into it. There, there's a fence that they cross. Mm-hmm. And when they do so, you know, Shatsk's uh, cites that there's uh, Federation conservation laws, that they're in violation of them, and that they're under arrest and will be searched. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to unpack with that, uh, dealing with the underlying law and then the Fourth Amendment issues uh, for arresting and then searching somebody. The good old right. search incident to arrest. Uh, so, Nari, walk us through the Endangered Species Act issues. Yeah, so this is a potentially fun little example for anybody who's trying to do an issue spotter for uh, the Endangered Species Act or things that are prohibited by the Endangered Species Act more specifically. So the Endangered Species Act prohibits the taking, and this is something we've covered in previous podcasts, but it is a term of art, a taking, of listed animals. Um, And so animals can be listed or delisted depending on their endangered status. Um, And the interstate or international, and we presume interstellar in the Federation version, uh, trade of listed animals, including their quote, parts and products. Um, So here the Ferengi seem to be going out of their way to break everything that fits the definition of taking. So taking is defined by the statute. Um, It includes to harass, harm, pursue, hunt, shoot, wound, kill, trap, capture, or collect, or attempt to engage in any such conduct. So just based on what is expressly depicted here, we've definitely got harassing and harming, which is, you know, the whipping and the taking away of the baby trappings, as we do later in the episode see a trap set up, so we know that they were caught by trapping. Um, They were captured, they were in cages, and collecting, also again collecting a bunch of them in cages. Um, So that pretty much covers everything except we don't actively see them pursuing and hunting and shooting, but we can assume. It's safe to assume. Um, The other part, of course, that we do see expressly um, is it is depicted that the Ferengi are engaging in the sale of the Mugatu. Were they horns? Were they spines? (laughs) In any event, they're clearly a Mugatu part. Right, correct, Josh. They're attached, and we do see one of them with a broken horn, so I don't know if that was in ritual combat that the creatures have, or if it was sawed off. We have the Ferengi wearing a pelt with the horn, so going like for, like, worst of the worst uh, and somebody dressing like that, like that's just, it's like, so you've dressed as the endangered species. That speaks volumes about your confidence level with what you're doing. And uh, that's all bad. So that's, yes. <laughs> I mean, so, the, I mean go there's, ahead. Sorry. there's like the full on Dumbo thing of taking the child away from the mom. And uh, so again, just like everything bad that you can imagine with poachers, the Frangie are doing. Yes. So the other thing that's an interesting is that there's an obvious analogy here to ivory and rhinoceros horns, um, which is a real world problem that we, we face with, you know, dwindling numbers of African elephants. And um, I think it's typically black rhinoceroses. In any event, rhinoceroses are increasingly rare. Um, uh, so the ESA um, itself, the Endangered Species Act, covers inter- interstate and international trade. Um, it doesn't actually prohibit intrastate trade, assuming that there isn't a problem with how you acquired the article in the first place. 
However, plenty of states have their own laws prohibiting or otherwise governing the possession or sale, even if you're only doing it within your state, of those types of articles. In California specifically, Fish and Game Code Section 2022, if anyone wants to look it up, um, prohibits, uh, it bans the sale of endangered animal parts, specifically including African elephant uh, ivory and rhinoceros horns. Um, uh, whether and under what circumstances, no matter what circumstances or what time you acquired it. So even if you acquired it when it was legal to have imported it, um, you cannot possess it with the intent to sell essentially. Um, so if you, you know, legitimately acquired at some point uh, a piece of ivory and you just have it, that's not a crime. But if you intend to sell it or transfer it in some way, um, you may want to, you may want to consult an attorney <laughs> before you do so. I, d I don't know the answer to this, but it raises the question about uh, wills, that if you inherit it. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I mean, so this specific California statute only covers with the intent to sell. Mm -hmm. So I, I assume that does not, just based on the reading of it and having not done, you know, dug into the case law, but I would have a hard time imagining that that would continue on, that that would also apply to, you know, wills and estates. Um, yeah. That's not a sale. No, and because it has to go somewhere, because if the intent is for the state to literally collect it upon somebody's passing, that would be different. Yeah, and if the state wanted to prohibit the possession of it writ large, period, full stop, they could have, um, and they didn't. So the idea is that if you if you have something that was imported at the time when it was legal, but you are not trying to put it in the marketplace, um, that's not prohibited under the specific California statute. What the California statute specifically is trying to put an end to is the marketplace for these animal parts, because that's what's driving the um, uh, poaching, that's driving these animals to extinction. It's... Yeah, it's not good. I mean, we have a bunch of laws in California designed to protect animals. Uh, for Gua, which is, uh, the more I've learned about it, the more disgusted I am by it, because it's the fattening up a, a goose liver. And it's just, it's creepy and wrong. And like, we, we banned it. Um, so like, it's not a delicacy here uh, anymore. So it, it's things like that, that, you know, that we took took legislative action on to protect. And I'm sure we would do the same with Mugatu horns. Yes. Um, and just in case anyone is curious, so once the Ferengi towards the end of the episode have switched instead to this preserve, um, interestingly, at least in my nerdy opinion, <laughs> the Endangered Species Act, and I presume the, the federation law that applies here, the conservation federation law, um, does provide, uh, specifically provides for something called a safe harbor agreement in which uh, if a property owner voluntarily wants to improve or maintain their land in order to benefit the endangered species, um, they are essentially allowed to protect it from enforcement if they have an incidental taking in pursuit of that goal. So like, for example, you know, you might need to capture and tag an animal. You might need to move an animal to a better location within your property. Um, but if you have entered into this, it's a specific uh, statutorily provided safe harbor agreement with the EPA, um, then you are protected against the federal enforcement for something incidental to your attempts to create a preserve. You have to trunk the animal in order to do dental care. Yeah, which is technically under the statute of taking, so. Yeah, it's like, well, we gotta fix his teeth. I mean, what we gotta do. So, well, that makes sense because if not, it would be impossible to yeah. do. 
so uh, with, as we think about the Mugatu and the laws with this, uh, okay, so we get African elephants, we have walruses, you know, other animals with ivory. I think those narwhals. are narwhals. Yes, <laughs> yes. That narwhal too. happens to be my nickname. So. <laughs> There's a story for another day. Yes. Uh, but uh, they are fascinating whales. So let's get into what other issues there are that you identified in your prep. So I think there, the, the one sort of event that spawns at least a couple different legal topics that we could easily talk about is um, the compromise that Rutherford and Boimler reach with the Ferengi at the end, joyfully exclaiming, we are both equally dissatisfied. <laughs> um, so this presents, I think, at least a couple interesting things. Uh, the first is that, you know, how, how are we even analyzing this? Um, is this a contract? Is this, you know, an agreement not to prosecute, um, which a form of contract? Um, and so because I think it probably is some kind of an agreement not to prosecute, um, uh, it brings up two topics there, right? So we've got some contract law issues. But we've also, I think, first and foremost, just got the, the topic of what is prosecutorial discretion, right? Can a prosecutor do this kind of creative solution in which they say, if you do X, Y, and Z, I will agree not to bring, you know, in this case, enforcement action, meaning arresting them for all of the terrible things they had done. Um, and so, you know, interestingly, at least in the American system of law, prosecutorial discretion is pretty much uh, limited. <laughs> Um, I'm sure there are some edge cases, but generally speaking, a prosecutor is completely within their discretion to just decide that in this case, they're going to throw the book at someone, or in this case, they're going to let them off, or in this case, make some kind of a creative agreement in which they contract not to bring the charges, but bind the would-be um, defendant to certain things. And it's, it's interesting, I think, uh, Josh, I'm sure you'd agree with me on this, that well, sometimes, you know, anytime you have an exercise of discretion, there can always be questionable cases. This one, I think, is a pretty nice little idealized version of it in which, you know, the retributive value of justice here would be best served by arresting these horrible Ferengi who've not only done these things to Mugato, but have also, uh, you know, wrongfully detained um, and, and captured the away team. Um, so the retributive value will be best served by, you know, arresting them and putting them in prison for a long, long time. Um, but where does that leave the Mugatu, right? So it would mean, it would mean that it, it falls on the society to pay for the cost of prosecuting them, of imprisoning them, and of taking care of the Mugato that are still there on the planet, um, potentially vulnerable to poachers and other things. Um, so it's interesting. I think this is a great example of prosecutorial discretion being used to find a solution that actually benefits everyone. So the Ferengi um, are paying for the cost of creating this new preserve and cleaning up the mess that they've created. Um, but on the other hand, society also gets a benefit because they are now taking care of the Mugato and you don't have to spend the resources to track them down when instead you could go after a fraudster in a ship, for example. <laughs> Building upon that, we begin the episode with uh, the boys who haven't had an adventure together. So this is their out as well. Uh, but they do it differently, and they also imply that there's been more of it, uh, that they're playing a game called Diplomacy, which really made me think of mediation and civil lawsuits. 
which does have a lot of diplomacy and trying to get both sides to go, we know you're upset, mm -hmm. but if you mutually want the other destroyed, that's not happening here today. So right. you can't, you know, the, the term of mediation can't be you drink hemlock and die. Like we don't, <laughs> I'm sure you feel that way, but that can't be part of the settlement that parties are entering into. Mm -hmm. But the idea that everybody's a little upset, but it's going to end, that's that's real. And it made me think of, God, this is what lawyers do when trying to go with their client. I know you're upset, but do you really want to go to trial where we might lose entirely and there's no way to get exactly what you want? So yeah. this is an option and it's going to work well. So applying that civil lesson to the criminal context, they really do bring that, that mediation concept of coming up with an artful compromise mm -hmm. where everybody benefits uh, and the Ferengi are realizing, well, it's more work, but we're gonna make a lot more money and we're not separating Mugatu from their cubs? Kits, uh, whatever they are, they're young. Offspring is called. So that does seem very familiar. And mm -hmm. it is kind of a Picard type or you know, or Kirk. I mean, it's it's constant through all of Star Trek and coming up with a compromise that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they can follow in the best traditions of Trek uh, with that resolution of the Mugatu part of the story. Yes. <laughs> um, and before we get too far off of that, I did want to mention. Um, there's also a potential contract law question when it comes to this agreement. So like any other agreement, an agreement not to prosecute in this case probably have to be written down and it would be a contract. Um, and so for example, if Starfleet showed up later and said, you know, tried to arrest the Ferengi, they would have to try to go to court and say, no, we have an agreement not to prosecute. Um, there is a very good argument though that this contract was formed under duress. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I actually don't think so. Oh. <laughs> Rengi had the upper hand when Boimler and Rutherford entered the compound. So the Starfleet officers are all arrested. So the Ferengi are in control. And the boys walk in with what looks like the cannon from Arena. And again, I absolutely love the writers and creative team for coming up with that. Yep. And it projects the hologram where they're, they're explaining with math. There is no way for Boimler and Rutherford to fight their way to a solution. And so they don't have the upper hand. They didn't bring in reinforcements. Oh, yes. But do you think that uh, Boimler and Rutherford were under duress during this contract formation? No, because they could have left entirely and gone to outside of the containment field and called the Cerritos and been picked up. And they could have then gone in with heavy reinforcements. So they didn't, I mean, like they didn't have to go back by themselves. They could have gotten help and, and changed the, the scales. So they would have been more even, but I- So I'm gonna disagree because I'm gonna analogize this to, um, we have your son pay us a million dollars. 
Um, in the sense that, yes, you could go to the police, you could instead try to track them down, but if you instead wrote them a check for a million dollars and then the person tried to then enforce that check later and you denied and then there was a contract dispute, the fact that you could have resorted to force in order to overcome their threat of force, I don't think negates the fact that the person in making this contract was threatened with either physical force against them, physical force against an, a, a person dear to them, or a threat of liberty to themselves or others actually also can qualify for duress. So in this case, I think there's a very good argument that if um, the uh, Starfleet came back later and tried to enforce, um, to prosecute the Ferengi, and the Ferengi came to Federation court and said, no, we have this agreement not to prosecute, I think Starfleet has a pretty good argument that this agreement was made under duress. I, I don't agree. And again, that's that's the beauty of why you see dissents <laughs> or majority opinions. It's like, I don't agree because they they could have left. And sure, that would have left their shipmates in the hands of the Ferengi, but the Ferengi weren't about to execute people. They were interning them. And- Of selling people. <laughs> but the ship's in orbit. There's no way anything's launching without the Cerritos noticing it which brings up you know, the, the topic that we're about to discuss. So I don't agree with the duress argument because I think there is a way around it. Now, if they were, if the boys had been captured, then yes, it would have been duress, but that's not the situation because they could have left. They could have gotten reinforcements. Um, then I think this, dovetails pretty nicely into some contract law issues around another event and what what might that one be <laughs> so the smuggler ship i don't think we learn his name but the green dude who is buying horns or tusks whichever they are illegally buying something <laughs> appendage and Exclusions. yeah whatever it's it's not okay uh, it's not they're, a... they're rubbed at one point. Anyway, <laughs> this, again, this is the most risque by far that I have seen. You know, 801 episodes in and like, wow, we did boldly go. Yes. So it's... Yeah, this, this one made me don't show your kiddos. <laughs> Daddy, what's that mean? Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. Uh, but... Um, the ship is going, is leaving. Mm -hmm. The Cerritos tries, hails them and says like, hey, what you doing? And, and there's immediately probable cause because he says like, what, I don't have any tusks or horns or, or whatever, which is like, you know, saying to the police officer, I, I don't have any cocaine, you know, which again, the cops then go, what? <laughs> Whoa, it's like, there's no ivory in the trunk. Oh, what? So now there's reasonable suspicion, if not outright probable cause. Yes. Sometimes uh, this is a very difficult question. This time, not so much. Yeah, it's like, so you're speeding away from the planet. You're immediately uh, showing signs of guilt when questioned. And everyone- Well, bringing up crimes that you have not been <laughs> accused of. What murder? No, there's no dead body in the trunk. <laughs> I know, you know, Freeman almost does a spit take at that point. What? So they they detain the ship with a tractor beam, which is- At the lowest tractor factor. I love that, by the way, the rhyme. <laughs> it, 
I think I think think that's the first we've ever heard tractor factor before. <laughs> so it was hilarious. It's God bless them. And <laughs> uh, they immediately the the, sh the ship starts breaking apart. They beam the guy over, and the ship explodes. And they go through this deal of like, oh crap, because uh, he's doing the full on meltdown. Like my life was there. And I have to say, with the depiction on the bridge, that was one of the most diverse bridge crews, racially and gender-wise, that we've seen. So it just shows that the animators are thinking that, like, it's not all dudes. Mm -hmm. It's not all, like, white dudes. It's a cross-section. <laughs> yeah, not all humans. There's a potpourri of different species and races all right there and every and gender and everyone going like oh 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 boy what, what oh, if i could if i could piggyback i just wanted to emphasize that um i i also loved that i love also that i think um it was done in an extremely true to trek way which is that trek has always been a little ahead of its time in terms of depicting different people and identities and you know genders etc um that at the time would have been you know very unpopular <laughs> to have done um and in ways it would have been very unpopular but the way that trek has always pushed the envelope has been by making these things unremarkable so it is not that wow like the people the characters themselves are not remarking wow look how interesting it is there are all these people here What's remarkable about it is that it is not remarkable. That this is the normal and it's the future that Trek envisions, and I've always loved that. Yeah, no one's doing cartwheels to get attention. It's like you have to, and it took like the second watching going, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. But that, and that's what's so beautiful about it. Is it's because it's 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 envisioning a future in which this is normal and unremarkable. Um, and that that's always been beautiful to me. Yeah, it's yeah, everyone's competently doing their jobs. And that's not remarkable. Yes. <laughs> why it's awesome. Because it's like, oh, everyone's just doing their thing. And then Trek has consistently done that in, in all of the past series. Um, every time it's taken a bold step forward, part of the reason why it's so bold is because it's trying to show that this should not be this should not be remarkable. <laughs> yeah, it's like no one's asked the question, what's it like being a bullion yeah. <laughs> in command? Like that doesn't happen. It's like okay, like that individual's in charge and yep. we're off to the races. Anyway, sorry, that was a long detour to just sort of have some Trek love, but. It's it's why, again, seeing diversity and representation and not having, and having it be perfect is so nice. So Captain Freeman realizing, I don't want to deal with this problem decides we'll just give him a shuttlecraft, which is named Joshua Tree, which I've noticed and I do appreciate that YouTube album a lot. And we do have those here in California. So again, thank you. Um, <laughs> and they take the position, her and Ransom take the position, that we'll just say it was lost through a black hole, happens all the time. It's cool. That's just what we'll do. And the alien then adds you which know, was a big upgrade this this shuttlecraft is a big upgrade it's, uh, yeah it's got a good name so you know, from what was it lucky jane 2 or something lady jane lady jane <laughs> lady jane uh so he's eyes all of uh freeman's trophies on her bulkhead and uh basically coerces her of that as well 
which she does basically to make the problem go away, mm-hmm. giving away sentimental items, which include a nautilus, a little gorn, uh, things we don't know the story behind. Yet, maybe we... <laughs> we know that she saves stuff from all the adventures with Mariner. Mm-hmm. So this is a sentimental person who keeps mementos and she's willing to give up mementos in order to like right or wrong that mm-hmm. she felt that she caused. But here's the problem. It's all a lie. Yes. So, so, um, so here's my question, Josh. Assuming that um, instead of just the recapture and holding the guy accountable as they did, imagine instead that um, Captain Freeman were able to uh, uh, retake the things, but then this fraudster shows up in a Federation court demanding them back, saying, but we reached an agreement, we signed a contract, I have it right here, um, in order for me to not, you know, press any charges for the destruction of my ship, um, you gave me these things. What kind of contract law issue are we talking about here, if any? So there's a couple things here that originate with her lying to her husband, which is not a crime, but he's an admiral. So we're now in a full-on cover-up where she's lied to a superior officer who asked her a specific question. So this is also part of a cover-up, and that's bad. And I, I under- thought about that. That is huge. <laughs> I understand spouses kind of like not telling everything, just going, I'm not, no, we're not doing that today. <clears throat> and we're... I get that. I understand that happens. But to go in the direction of, I just lied to an admiral after being warned about a fraudster who's getting starships and, you know, hoodwinking the Federation, she lies to him. And instead of arresting the fraudster for fraud, she arrests him and sentences him to the planet to go clean up uh, hard, labor. <laughs> hard labor in order to cover up the fact that she lied to an admiral. So there's a lot there with this oh, blue deal. <laughs> because that's that's a boo-boo. So I do think she was in within her rights to do that, but the fact that there's a she has her own cover-up going on is a giant problem for her that I don't know if you can take the position, I didn't lie to an admiral. I lied to him as in his capacity as my husband. No, therefore, I don't think so. <laughs> therefore, it's okay. I mean, like he's going to prosecute his wife because no good would come from that. But still, somebody else could for the sake of, you know, uh, following the chain of command, because you can't have commanders doing that uh, within the chain of command. No, I I think you've made a really good point here, Josh, which is also just that this all starts going off the rails when the suggestion is made, you know, not even to recompense this guy on the books, but off the books. Just, we lost this shuttlecraft in a black hole. Yeah, if they had, you know, tried doing it by the books, the fraud could have been determined at that point in time, because by filling out the requisition form, the situation could have been like, he's a bad dude, throw him in the brig. Instead, it's a cover-up followed by a cover-up. He does get his just desserts. 
and the fact that Shax was tasting uh, Mugatu, uh, Dung. And Even when not strictly necessary. <laughs> freaking everyone out. <laughs> Tangy. No. <laughs> no. Um, Maybe so it's like that bat poop coffee. Who knows? <laughs> no. Happy place. Happy place. So I don't. I think it's proper, but it's predicated upon a cover-up, and that's never good. I agree, Josh. Let's 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 assume that they had actually done this above board, and there had been a contract in which the captain Wright had agreed to recompense this guy for the loss of his ship. Um, I think now, if we're, if we're putting ourselves in this slight hypothetical, I think we do, however, get to cover the contract issue about fraud, <laughs> which is a contract made um, under fraud. So uh, there are what we talk about as lawyers and contract law, there are essential elements of a contract, there's offer, acceptance, um, but there's also something called mutuality, which is uh, the other term of art that lawyers like to use, a meeting of the minds. It means in less lawyer terms, that both parties to a contract, or all parties, actually understood the terms of the contract at the time that they agreed to it. Um, so fraud prevents that mutuality or meeting of the minds, right? Because one party is intentionally misleading another so that the other party does not actually uh, understand the substance and terms of the contract. So in this case, the actual contract being made unbeknownst to Captain Freeman, had she done this above board, is that she was giving a shuttlecraft and all her mementos um, to a man who had blown up his own ship. Uh, instead, the term that she thought she was agreeing to was to a man whose ship had been destroyed by her tractor beam. <laughs> and those are two very different worlds. And so because the, the minds are not meeting, right? Captain Freeman has a very different state of mind and understanding than the green alien who's making this uh, uh, agreement with her. There is not a valid contract. So assuming that she had done this above board and that she had then gone back and re-seized the Federation property um, because they discovered that the contract was made up, uh, by fraudulent means, if this green alien showed up in Federation court held up his contract and said, no, we agreed to this, I am entitled to the shuttlecraft and your mementos, the judge would undoubtedly say, uh, but you misrepresented the terms of this contract intentionally, knowingly, this contract is null and void. Sorry, I just said this is a fun, this yeah, is, is such a fun one. <laughs> you know, it's a great law school hypothetical on contract formation. And well done. Now there, we do have some issues with medical consent. Uh, as well. And, uh, and another one. So let's, before we get to medical consent, let's start with the beginning where they're playing the jujitsu game that we saw. in. Oh next. My God. So there's an assumption of risk in playing games like sports that you can get hurt. Mm -hmm. However, uh, it's one thing to go, hey, in a boxing match, I know someone's going to punch me. What you do not expect is the other boxer to use a handgun. And that the assumption of risk then changes that you didn't assume that risk. Similar for our boys, when Mariner goes into like full killing mode, uh, we have uh, Rutherford's hand get impaled and Boimler gets beaten senseless. That's outside the scope of what the game should be. They did not mm -hmm. assume the risk that they were expecting a fair game after we've been practicing really hard and mariner deviates from 
the rules of the game and just goes into whoop ass mode. Yeah. And like that's she would be responsible for that because it's now crossed into torts, if not full blown crimes, because there is no consent uh, for that. Yes, there's, I think, an analogy that you were saying, like with boxing. I think there might actually be a case that we covered when I was doing contracts in law school um, with like uh, high school football. And, you know, if, if you get hit during the, uh, you know, the lines meet, the defensive lines meeting, and, you know, you get injured, unfortunately, that is one of the things that it's the kind of injury that you would expect. Um, so by, you know, agreeing to play the game, you've kind of agreed to that, you probably cannot, in that circumstance, sue the player that hit you um, for, for damages that you might have suffered. If, however, that player takes off their helmet and hits you with it, <laughs> that is not the kind of injury that you have consented to, because it's not the kind of injury that you would expect when playing that game. Um, I think that's an actual contracts case. I could be wrong. Um, but yes, yeah, so in this case, a contracts professor could definitely go through this. And like when it starts and the first tooth is lost, like that actually might be part of it. You know, if you get hit really hard with one of those sticks, even though they're padded and you're wearing pads, that could happen. But once she breaks the stick in half and starts stabby stab, that is not this sport. Because at that point, like, hey, the helmet was effective. And then there's a claim against the, the helmet manufacturer for her getting a tooth knocked out. Like, and, but you look at what happens to hockey players. Like, you know, those, a lot of those boys need dentures similar situation oh, like hockey's a funny one because you actually probably do consent to get in fights yeah, <laughs> i went to a fight and then a hockey game broke out exactly yeah. I, I really like hockey by the way i do enjoy those yeah we some other legal geeks have access to a box to see the sharks games and maybe one day is that an invitation no i can't invite others but maybe one day <sighs> one day we'll be able to do that again. And I will tell that lawyer that you do like this. You do know her. So yes. Uh, but again, to dream, dream of actually doing things in person yes. with others. Good, 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 good things to aspire to. That said, uh, let's get to the, the next issue of you now need to go to the doctor. Well, we have Tendi's solo mission in this mm -hmm. where uh, Dr. Taala uh, uh, gives her the job of getting uh, the medical scans, the annual physical, for a whole bunch of people who haven't come in for their physical. So they are required, per the rules, to yeah, get a condition of employment, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is not something you can skip. Now, normally, you need consent for medical treatment because if it's not it's like we're crossing into assault and battery because it's an unwanted physical invasion at that point so tendy uh gets assertive so she does start the day with going after one guy who blows her off mm -hmm. uh but while he's you know trying to unsuccessfully woo a female uh, shipmate at the bar uh she plays bartender and gets a dna sample and scans him at that point in time. So there's no consent, so that's a problem. And the medical professional then discloses health information about his brittle bones. So that would be a oh. HIPAA information uh, violation because she has it on a medical device, so therefore it's stored by a medical facility. And she's and, a medical professional. She's a medical professional. 
and she shoots him down with the lady by saying he has brittle bones. So that that looks like a full-blown HIPAA violation by disclosing his medical condition in her capacity as a medical professional. Yes, and I did want to emphasize that because I think it's something that is commonly misunderstood about HIPAA is that it, it governs medical professionals and medical healthcare institutions handling and disclosure um, of patients' information. Uh, and in this case, though, like, so sometimes, you know, you, it, you, there are situations where um, as part of your employment, your employer may want to know certain things or schools require, um, you know, students to disclose their vaccination statuses and things like that often uh, to attend public schools. Um, there are lots of different situations where uh, people may ask for your medical information. And as long as they are not themselves a medical professional, it doesn't usually involve or Im implicate HIPAA. What is implicated is how your doctor or how, you know, whatever healthcare institution you go to is handling information. So, for example, if your employer wanted to know um, something about your health and contacted your doctor directly and asked them, would you please tell me this thing? There could be serious HIPAA implications. Um, but asking you yourself to disclose information is not, does not necessarily implicate HIPAA if there isn't some kind of medical professional or healthcare provider involved in that transaction. Um, but this case, she is, a, she is a doctor and she is loudly announcing to a third party, this woman who he was trying to uh, woo, uh, his private medical information. I agree that that is a very serious problem. It's a boo-boo, yes. uh, which highlights plenty of doctors on board, but no JAG officers. Yes, so... and I think like the, the, odd, the less funny, but probably legitimate way that this would be handled is by ordering these people to report. If they fail to obey that, now you've got offenses that you can hold them accountable for. The solution is not to clandestinely collect DNA samples. Yeah, because as she's like going on the holodeck and, uh, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, going after the surfers on a uh, hang, hang glider, like all of that, it's like that's crossing into assault in order yeah. to get the information. And it does, it's a wonderful character arc for her. And we do get to see and her. And it's being, funny. It's funny to watch. But guys, do not try this at home. <laughs> now, the, the reveal with the doctor. Uh, like oh, yeah, that was funny. It's the quintessential, like, you know, supervillain. Will, you couldn't just let it go. You know, yeah. it's so good. And then we have the doctor. Oh, and I just want to say there is some reality in that. There are, you know, I've got at least a couple doctors in my extended family. And there is, it is a thing that doctors, some, for some reason, don't like to go see other doctors. Uh, it's, it's a thing. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that she's like clawing at Tendi, like all of that, like this is full on mutual combat at this point in time, where Tendi's just trying to do her job. And the doctor's the one breaking the rules. Yes. Uh, we do know, learn that she can move on all fours pretty fast. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and she's got a mean swipe. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was hysterical. And the fact that, you know, Tendi does have a compound break in her arm is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should laugh, but that was well done and funny. Uh, and then passes out from the pain. So good stuff. But only after finishing her mission. <laughs> I appreciate that kind of work ethic. That is well done. Well done. So uh, 
And just as a closing with the bartender, uh, I, I do appreciate the pet cemetery homage with, you know, the grizzled old man. I mean, I was expecting sometime dead is better. You know, I was <laughs> expecting that. Uh, but again, this is what we got. And it's a fun episode. I really enjoyed it. Right from the top to the bottom. I, the reference with the Frankie, it's like, are you a throwback to the uh, last outpo outpost, Frankie? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the whips and everything. I had to, again, explain to my boyfriend, this is a reference. They don't just have energy whips for no reason. Yeah. And it's like season one of Next Gen. So... <laughs> Oh, uh, very nice deep cut. And then the reference, don't you know Quark? Of I know. I, do. <laughs> I was going to say, they were behaving a lot like pre-reformed <laughs> Frankie. Yeah, it's, again, so much fun. And Oh, and I have one more thought about before. that, which is also that, again, this is such a true Trek depiction in the sense that, so Ferengi are such an interesting culture within the Star Trek universe in the sense that, you know, the, 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 the real saving grace about Ferengi is that they don't pursue what we consider to be bad things because they're bad, right? <laughs> like it, they, they don't, they're not doing this to the Mugato because they have a, a, you know, a religious zeal in order to do so or because they derive pleasure from the suffering of others. It's because of profit. And this is this happened in Next Generation very expressly where a plan to take revenge upon Picard for the death of a Ferengi captain's son was ended by showing evidence to that Ferengi captain's crew that he was pursuing something other than profit revenge. So it's interesting that in this case, again, presented with math, I love that line, they're solving it with the power of math, um, by showing them that actually what they're doing is not profitable compared to instead making a preserve, the Ferengi abandoned their criminal enterprise. Um, and I think that that's also a very, it's a depiction of Ferengi by people who understand how Ferengi have been depicted throughout the various Star Trek series. Yeah, and, and again, you defeat them with a full-blown uh, presentation going over profit, loss, and, you know, how to make money. Uh, it reminds me of the, on one level, the episode House of Quark, uh, mm -hmm. where... Oh, uh, I, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, where it's, like, wonderfully discovery issues and uh, uh, forensic... Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forensic, forensic accounting. accounting and being able to go like, look, he's trying to destroy this house with money. Yes, with financial subservience. <laughs> and it's all the Klingons are like in awe looking around going, what? And, and like, they're like just throwing up their hands. And when they realize it really is like, you know, you know, Gowron's like, how dare you? Yeah. And, and excommunicates the guy on the spot. So mm -hmm. again, a lot to the Frangi. And they, they, this is a good episode with the friend. Yes, it really is. It is. So, so uh, everyone, thank you. We will be back with more because uh, you can see Nari and I are having way too much fun. And uh, we might I'm eventually... only sad for when the season ends and we have to wait for the next one. Yeah, well, yeah. We, we've got some time. We've got some time. <laughs> we've got some time and... I'm not sure what will come out first, Picard or uh, Discovery or When Brave Strange New Worlds is supposed to drop. Really looking forward to that. Me too, as I 
wear the enter original Enterprise t-shirt. So yes, can't wait, can't wait. So everyone, uh, stay tuned for Star Trek Day. Follow our social media. We have a, uh, old posts queued up for all the analysis we've done. We should have some more. And again, we'll have two special podcasts as well. So everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky.